Chapter 7 of Narrative of an Expedition to the Shores of the Arctic Sea in 1846 and 1847 by John Ray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Chapter 7 Preparations for Exploring the Coast of Melville Peninsula. Outfit. Leave Fort Hope. Pass over numerous lakes. Guide at fault. Dease Peninsula. Arrive at the sea. Fatigue party sent back to Fort Hope. Barrier of ice. Lafroy Bay. Large island named after the Prince of Wales. Detained by stormy weather. Short allowance. Cape Lady Simpson. Selkirk Bay. Snow knee-deep. Capes Finlayson and Sibold. Deer shot. A cooking scene. Favorite native relish. Again stopped by stormy weather. Cape Malaughlin. Two men left to hunt and fish. Cape Richardson. Chain of Islands. Gary Bay. Prince Albert Range of Hills. Cape Arrowsmith. Coast much indented. Baker Bay. Provisions fail. Proceed with one man. Cape Crozier, Perry Bay, Cape Ellis, the farthest point seen, take possession, commence our return, no provisions procured by the men left behind, short commons, flock of cranes, snow blindness, arrive at Repulse Bay. On the 12th of May, preparations were commenced for a journey along the west side of Melville Peninsula. In expectation of falling in with much rough ice, I determined on taking dogs only for the first three days of the journey. The party was to consist of Corrigal, our snowhouse builder, Folster, Matheson, and Minot, with Uligbuck as deer hunter and interpreter. A fatigue party of two men and an Eskimo with a sledge and a good team of dogs were to accompany us for three days, which I supposed would be the time required to reach the coast. Our provisions for the journey were two bags of pemmican, each 90 pounds, 70 reindeer tongues, weighing nearly 30 pounds, 36 pounds flour, and a little tea, chocolate, and sugar. We took also a gallon and a half of alcohol and a small quantity of oil. Leaving George Flett in charge of Fort Hope, we started at 10 p.m. on the 13th of May and directed our course towards a chain of lakes in nearly a due north direction. Although the snow was soft, and we had some rather steep rising ground to pass over, we made good progress, and after crossing six small lakes, we came to some high tableland, on which the snow was very deep, and in which the sledge sank very much. A walk of four miles brought us to another lake of considerable size. A little after 6 a.m. on the 14th, we found some snow huts that had been inhabited during part of the winter by the Eskimo Akuchi and soon had one of them cleared out for the accommodation of the party. Although we had not traveled much more than twenty miles, Uligbuck was so fatigued that I determined to send him back with those who were to return to Repulse Bay. We saw no game and only very few tracks of deer. The weather was so cloudy that no meridian observation of the sun could be obtained. Our latitude was 66 degrees, 52 minutes north and longitude 86 degrees 46 minutes west, 
both by account. We resumed our march at 9 p.m. on the 14th, the night being calm, with the little snow falling. A brisk walk of two miles to the northwest brought us to the end of the lake, when we followed the bed of a small stream to the northward for five miles. Two narrow lakes were next traversed, when our guide, who appeared to know little about the proper route, led us to the northwest, and after crossing five lakelets and as many short portages at half-past six a.m., we came to a body of water about the size of that near which we had encamped the day before. Here we stopped for the day. The ice on the lake was six feet thick and gave the men much trouble to cut through it. There was very little fuel to be found. We were therefore obliged to burn part of the small quantity of oil we had taken with us. By a meridian observation, our latitude was 67 degrees, 5 minutes, 3 seconds north, variation of the compass, 53 degrees, 30 minutes west, and longitude by account, 87 degrees, 8 minutes, 54 seconds west. The west side of the creek, and also of the lakes which we passed over this day, was steep and rocky, although not high. The east sides were more sloping. It was near ten o'clock at night when we commenced our journey. After an hour's walk, we came to the north end of the lake, but our young Eskimo, never having been here before, which was rather surprising, as his usual winter home was not more than ten miles distant, was quite at a loss what direction to take. It would have been quite easy for me to have made a straight course by compass, but by doing so we were very likely to get among ground so uneven as to be impassable to the dogs and sledge. We now turned to the east of north, and after crossing a number of small lakes, arrived at the sea, which here formed a deep inlet, at a few minutes before midnight. Proceeding down the inlet, which for a couple of leagues was not more than half a mile wide, with steep rocky shores, in some places precipitous, we came to rough ice, and found that there were apparently two openings leading to the northward. I chose the one on the left, but we had not gone more than a mile and a half when we found that we were in an arm of the inlet, and that the land to the north of us, which I had supposed to be an island, was joined to the mainland by an isthmus not more than fifty yards wide. This peninsula I named after P. W. Deese, Esquire, the able leader, in conjunction with T. Simpson, of the expeditions which explored so large a portion of the Arctic shores in 1837, 1838, and 1839. Retracing our steps, we now followed the opening to the right, in which there were great quantities of rough ice, over which we advanced but slowly. The inlet, to which I had given the name of Cameron after a friend, soon became broader and the ice less rough. At 7 a.m. on the 16th, we arrived at the Cape, which last autumn had been named after the late Thomas Simpson, whose agreeable duty it would have been, had he survived, to accomplish the survey which I was now endeavoring to bring to a successful termination. The shores here were very barren, there being little or no vegetation to be seen, except small patches in the crevices of the rocks. In a small lake near our encampment, from which we obtained water, the ice was found to be five feet thick. A sufficient quantity of fuel was gathered to boil our kettle, and two hares were shot by Corrigal. We here made a cache of some pemmican, flour, etc., for our return journey. Our snow hut was built on the south side of the cape, under shelter of rocks near which there were two small islands. The sledge was to be sent back to Repulse Bay from this place and with it Uligbuk, 
who from his inability to walk would have been an encumbrance to us. The weather was so cloudy that no observation could be obtained. Our latitude by account was 67 degrees 22 minutes, which I afterwards found by observation to be nearly three miles too far north. Longitude 87 degrees 3 minutes west. The whole of these three days' journeys had been measured with a well-stretched line, but this we could not expect to carry on further, as each person would have enough to do with his load. Bidding adieu to our companions, who were to return to Fort Hope, we commenced our journey at half-past eight p.m., each of my men being laden with about seventy pounds, whilst I carried my instruments, books, and some other articles, weighing altogether forty pounds. This was but a light burden for me, but as I had to examine different objects on the route, and also lead the way, I found it quite enough. As soon as we had fairly rounded Cape T. Simpson, the coast turned to the eastward, and became indented with narrow but deep inlets, all of which were packed full of rough ice. Walking became most difficult. At one moment we sank nearly waist-deep in snow, at another we were up to our knees in salt water, and then again on a piece of ice so slippery that with our wet and frozen shoes it was impossible to keep from falling. Sometimes we had to crawl out of a hole on all fours, like some strange-looking quadrupeds. At other times, falling backwards, we were so hampered by the weight of our loads that it was impossible to rise without throwing them off, or being assisted by one of our companions. We therefore found it better to follow the shores of the inlets than to cross them, although by doing so we had doubled the distance to go over. Numerous traces of hares were seen, but we could not afford to lose time in following them. After passing four inlets, having some small islands lying outside of them, we came to a rocky point rather higher than any we had yet met with on this side of the bay. The coast to the eastward of Point Cowie, so named after an old friend, became more level, and instead of granite was covered with mud, shingle, and fragments of limestone. At half-past three a.m., all of us being sufficiently tired with our night's work, we built our snow hut and a small kitchen for cooking. This was our usual practice, when we had found or were likely to find fuel. In the present instance, we had the good fortune to collect enough to boil a kettle of chocolate, and we consequently enjoyed an excellent supper, if I may so term a meal taken about six in the morning. The weather had been fine until midnight, when it began to snow and drift, with a strong breeze from the north, thermometer plus thirteen degrees. At noon, the sky was too much overcast to obtain an observation. Our latitude was sixty-seven degrees, twenty-four minutes, twenty seconds north. Longitude, eighty-six degrees, thirty-seven minutes west, both by account. When we resumed our journey, at seven o'clock in the evening of the seventeenth, there was still a strong breeze from the north-northwest with snowdrift, the temperature being plus 18 degrees. Our snow hut of the previous day we now found to be on the shore of a large bay, the most distant point of which bore nearly due north. To follow the coast would have cost us a great deal of additional walking. I therefore determined to attempt the traverse of the bay towards the point above referred to. All along the coast there was a belt of rough ice about two miles broad, over which we were forced to pass before reaching some that appeared smoother outside. To cross this barrier occupied us more than two hours, and gave us more violent exercise than all the remainder of the day's journey. 
it was half past three a.m when we arrived at the north point of the bay which was low and level with some hills a few hundred feet high three or four miles inland we had passed two small rocky islands to seaward in the first part of the night and there was another close to a bluff point on the south side of the bay to this cape i gave the name of watt the bay was called after lieutenant now captain lefroy of the royal artillery whose name is well known to the scientific world and of whose kindness in aiding me in my astronomical studies i retain a most grateful remembrance we crossed over to cape w mctavish so named after william mctavish esq chief trader and intimate friend to whom i am much indebted for assisting me in fitting out the expedition and stopped about three miles beyond it here we built our snow hut which was found by meridian observation to be in latitude sixty seven degrees forty two minutes twenty two seconds north the variation of the compass eighty degrees thirty five minutes west and the longitude by account eighty six degrees thirty minutes west directly opposite our encampment and extending for about seventeen miles to the northward of it there was a large island of tableland with not a single rock in situ to be seen on it its southern extremity bore nearly west true from us and the strait which separated it from the mainland was not more than a mile and a half wide this island was honored with the name of his royal highness the prince of wales and a smaller one to the south of it was named after colonel sabine not a single living animal had been seen all day but some traces of deer proceeding northward were noticed we were again fortunate enough to find a little fuel our route on the following night was nearly straight in a north-northeast direction the snow was very soft and deep in many places a few hundred yards from the beach there were steep banks covered with shingle and small boulders of granite where we usually found the snow less deep and walking consequently better after traveling nine miles we came to a considerable creek about twenty yards wide in which a deep channel had been worn among the mud and shingle near it there were numerous eskimo marks set up and circular tent sites but all of old date we continued our march twelve miles further and at eight a m arrived at another creek somewhat larger than the last and with higher banks here there were also many eskimo marks and i afterwards learned that some parties had resorted hither from repulse bay for the purpose of catching salmon trout etc about an hour before reaching this place we crossed a long and curiously shaped point which i named point hamilton after a near relative the bay formed by it was called erlandson one of the men although an able active fellow not being used to this sort of exercise was much fatigued and as the weather looked threatening i ordered our snow-house to be built the more readily as there was fuel to be found in little more than an hour and a half we were comfortably housed and not long afterwards we had taken our usual morning meal of pemmican seasoned with a handful of flour those forming when boiled together a very nourishing and not unpalatable dish the temperature all night had been twenty-two degrees above zero being too warm for walking pleasantly and the men having had to exert themselves much were glad to get to rest as soon as possible whilst i remained up to obtain a meridian observation of the sun this gave latitude sixty-seven degrees fifty-eight minutes forty-nine seconds north 
our longitude by account was eighty five degrees fifty nine minutes thirty six seconds west the sun was too much obscured by clouds to obtain the variation we here deposited some pemmican and a little flour for our return journey when we started at eight hours thirty minutes p m on the nineteenth it blew a gale of wind from the south-southeast with much drift and snow the temperature being only four degrees below the freezing point fortunately the wind was on our backs but the drift was so thick that we were obliged to follow every turn of the coast and we could not see more than twenty yards before us when we had travelled six miles we came to a bay a mile and a half wide on the north shore of which there were two strangely shaped rocks of granite having the appearance of an old ruin or portion of a fortress they were of a square form about twenty-five feet high and nearly as much in extent our course now lay due north but we had not gone more than twelve miles altogether when the weather became so unpleasant that we were glad to get under shelter and before we did so every part of our clothes was penetrated with snowdrift we could obtain no fuel here the weather continued so stormy that we were unable to leave our snow hut until a quarter past eight p m on the twenty first during our detention finding that our provisions would run short if the walking continued as difficult as it had been we took only one not overabundant meal during the twenty-four hours there was still some snow falling so that i could not take the proper bearings of the land along which we passed the land after we had proceeded northeast for a few miles turned to the southward of east forming a bay eight miles wide which as it was full of rough ice we were under the necessity of coasting this bay was called after the right honourable the earl of selkirk and the cape forming its western boundary was named after the amiable lady of our much respected governor sir george simpson the snow was in many places so soft and deep that we sank above the knee at every step which made our night's march fatiguing in the extreme on the northeast side of selkirk bay which is steep and rocky there was a deep indentation or inlet into which two small creeks emptied themselves the land for five miles had a northwest trending and again turned up to the eastward of north forming a high rugged headland which was named cape finlayson after duncan finlayson esq chief factor at three miles from cape finlayson we passed point barnston and about four miles beyond this we came to another rocky point which received the name of cape sibold the night had now become very disagreeable with a heavy fall of snow we persevered notwithstanding partly crossing and partly coasting a bay heaped with rough ice and encamped on what i supposed was its northern extremity but which afterwards turned out to be an island and to which i gave the name of glen the bay we had just passed was called after william g smith esq assistant secretary to the hudson's bay company the snow not being in a good state for building we were rather longer than usual in getting housed there was no fuel to be found so we followed our old plan and took a kettle or two of snow to bed with us the temperature was very high for the season being only five degrees below the freezing point when we started at a quarter past eleven on the twenty-second the night was beautifully clear and calm with the thermometer at thirteen degrees below zero after a three hours walk we arrived at the north point of a bay three and a half miles wide across which we had come to the bay i gave the name of fraser 
and to the point that of Corcoran, after two intimate friends, chief traders of the company. We had not advanced many miles farther, when some deer were noticed at no great distance, feeding on the banks of a stream. Being desirous of procuring some venison if possible, I sent Corrigal, who with other good qualities was a very fair shot, after them, and he was fortunate enough to shoot a fine buck. But the buck, though wounded, could still run too fast to be overtaken, and the sportsman was just about to give up the chase when I joined him, and we continued the pursuit together. The deer having got a considerable way in advance had lain down, but rose up before we could get within good shooting distance, and was trotting off at a great pace, when by way of giving him a parting salute, I fired, and very luckily sent a ball through his head, which dropped him. His horns were already about a foot long, and the venison was in fine order for the season of the year. I immediately returned to the men, who had been busily employed collecting fuel, of which great quantities grew along the borders of the creek, and sent two of them to assist in skinning and cutting up the deer, whilst I and the other men continued to gather heather, as we now anticipated great doings in the kitchen. We placed the greater part of our venison and cash, but kept the head, blood, leg bones, etc., for present use, and being determined to lose nothing, the stomach was partially cleaned by rubbing it with snow, and then cut up and boiled, which thus made a very pleasant soup, there being enough of the vegetable contents of the paunch to give it a fine green color, although I must confess that, to my taste, this did not add to the flavor. Having discussed this mess, a second kettleful was prepared, composed of the blood, brains, and some scraps of the meat, which completed our supper. It is well known that both Eskimo and Indians are very fond of the contents of the paunch of the reindeer, particularly in the spring, when the vegetable substances on which the animal feeds are said to be sweeter tasted. I have often seen our hunter, Nibitabo, when he had shot a deer, cut open the stomach, and sup the contents with as much relish as a London alderman would a plate of turtle soup. The position of our snow-house was in latitude 68 degrees 33 minutes 26 seconds north, longitude 85 degrees 20 minutes 30 seconds west, both by account. The weather was so stormy during the 23rd that we could not continue our journey. The thermometer rose as high as plus 39 degrees in the shade, and the melting of the snow having wet the heather, we were obliged to have recourse to alcohol. Three or four snow buntings and traces of partridges, tetrao rupestris, were seen. On the 24th, it still blew a gale of wind from the east, but there being a partial thaw by the high temperature, there was no drift, and much of the ground was entirely cleared of snow. In the evening, the weather became more moderate, and the thermometer fell to five degrees below the freezing point. We started at a few minutes after ten o'clock, our course being slightly to the east of north. The traveling was still very fatiguing, as we were frequently forced to pass over the rocks or to walk along the steep drift banks in order to avoid the rough ice which had been heaped up against the shore. We passed a number of small bays and points, and when we had advanced fifteen miles, came to a high cape, which forms the northwest promontory of a bay five miles in extent. To the cape I gave the name of Malaughlin, after the gentleman who has been for many years in charge of the Columbia Department, and the bay was called after my much-valued friend, Nicole Finlayson, Esquire, Chief Factor. 
after passing cape malaughlin we turned to the eastward toward the head of the bay and stopped at seven a m near the mouth of a creek where we took up our quarters for the day there was not so much fuel to be found as at our last encampment but we gathered enough to boil our kettle some bands of deer and a few partridges were observed but we did not waste time in endeavoring to get a shot at them since leaving fort hope not a day had passed without more or less snow falling which made the traveling much more difficult than i expected and our progress consequently so much slower that notwithstanding the addition i had made to our stock of provisions there was some danger of our still running short i therefore decided on leaving two of the men here to fish and shoot whilst i went forward with the others there was a little snow falling when along with corrigal and matheson i set out at ten p m on the twenty fifth the night was mild six degrees below freezing with a light wind from the east a walk of two miles brought us to a headland which formed the north side of finlayson bay and which extended seven miles in a west-northwest direction to this cape the name of richardson was given after the distinguished naturalist who having already exposed himself to many dangers and privations in the cause of science is now about to incur similar hardships in the cause of humanity and friendship by searching for sir john franklin and his gallant party whose situation it is too much to be feared is a critical one at the place where we crossed cape richardson it was not more than a mile wide and we found ourselves in a large bay thickly studded with high and rugged islands the chain of these islands which lay outside of us and to which i gave the name of pomona after the largest island of the orcadian group had effectually served as a barrier to the ice from seaward and had thus made the walking much smoother than we had hoped to find it as we advanced there were many tracks of polar bears and also those of a wolverine that appeared to follow them very closely expecting no doubt to appropriate some portion of whatever prey they might catch a flock of long-tailed ducks passed us flying to the westward towards some open water the vapor exhaled from which appeared in that direction as we approached the north side of the bay which was named after nicholas gary esq of the hudson's bay company there were so many islands that i was much at a loss what direction to take under these circumstances we encamped at six a m on a high island about two miles in diameter from which a good view could be obtained gary bay is the most strangely shaped and the most irregular in its outline of any we had yet seen it presented three long narrow and high points of land and had four inlets the largest and most southerly of these points was called after lieutenant halkett royal navy and the most northerly of the inlets received the name of black inlet as no fuel could be obtained here we were reduced to the necessity of using some more of our alcohol of which but a small quantity now remained the men were soon asleep under our single blanket for this was all the covering we had for the party whilst i remained awake for the purpose of obtaining an observation of the sun at noon this gave latitude sixty eight degrees fifty nine minutes fifteen seconds north variation of the compass eighty eight degrees twenty six minutes west our longitude by account being eighty four degrees forty eight minutes west all the way between lefroy and gary bays there is a range of hills from five hundred to eight hundred feet high about five miles from the coast which was distinguished by the name of his royal highness prince albert consort of our beloved sovereign 
The weather was beautiful all day, and was equally fine when we commenced our march at half-past nine at night. Our route lay somewhat to the west of north, between two lofty islands, the smaller of which received the name of Gladman, and the larger and most northerly I designated Honeyman, after a brother. Seven miles from our encampment we passed a bluff and precipitous point, the northern extremity of Gary Bay, to which the name of Cape Aerosmith was given, in honor of John Aerosmith Esquire, the talented hydrographer to Her Majesty. The land was now completely serrated with narrow points and inlets, along which we were able to make nearly a straight course, as the force of the ice from the westward had been much broken by the ridges of rocks that lay outside of us. To four of these inlets I gave the names of Mackenzie, Whiffen, Bunn, and Hopkins, after much esteemed friends. Towards the end of our night's journey the coast turned nearly due north, and when we had advanced seven leagues we encamped on Cape Miles, so named after Robert Miles Esquire, Chief Factor, at 7 a.m. on the 27th. As the morning was exceedingly fine, we thought there was no necessity for building a snow house, an omission which we regretted in the afternoon, when a heavy fall of snow took place. By a good meridian observation of the sun, the latitude 69 degrees 19 minutes 39 seconds north, and the variation of the compass 92 degrees 20 minutes west were obtained, the longitude by account being 85 degrees 4 minutes west. The latter is evidently erroneous, as I had neither chronometer nor watch that I could place dependence upon, and the compasses were much affected by local attraction. Our provisions were now nearly all used. I could advance only half a night's journey further to the northward, and return the following morning to our present quarters. Leaving one of the men, I set out with the other at half-past nine p.m., the snow falling fast and although we had little or nothing to carry, the traveling was very fatiguing as we crossed Baker Bay, so named in memory of a much-valued friend, at the north side of which we arrived after a walk of four miles. It now snowed so thick that we could not see farther than fifty yards round us, and we were consequently obliged to follow the windings of the shore, which, when we had traced it six miles beyond Baker Bay, turned sharp to the eastward, but the weather continuing thick, I could not see how far it preserved this trending. After waiting here nearly an hour, the sky cleared up for a few minutes at 4 a.m., which enabled me to discover that we were on the south shore of a considerable bay, and I could also obtain a distinct view of the coastline for nearly 12 miles beyond it. To the most distant visible point, latitude 69 degrees 42 minutes north, longitude 85 degrees 8 minutes west, I gave the name of Cape Ellis, after Edward Ellis Esquire, Member of Parliament, one of the directors of the company. The bay to the northward and the headland on which we stood were respectively named after the distinguished navigators Sir Edward Perry and Captain Crozier. Finding it hopeless to attempt reaching the Strait of Fury and Hecla, from which Cape Ellis could not be more than ten miles distant, we took possession of our discoveries with the usual formalities and retraced our steps arriving at our encampment of the previous day at half-past eight a.m. Here we found that Matheson, the man left behind, had built a snow-house after a fashion of his own, the walls being like those of a stone building, and the roof covered in the same way with slabs of snow placed on the opposite walls in a slanting position, 
so as to rest on one another in the centre seven hours had been spent in building this edifice which was not a very handsome one but being sufficiently wide and when our legs were doubled up a little long enough for us all when lying down we found it pretty comfortable during the remaining four hours of our absence he had been engaged in an attempt to coax a little wet moss into a sufficient blaze to boil some chocolate but notwithstanding his most persevering exertions by the time his fuel was expended the chocolate was little more than lukewarm although our cook pro tempore who was of a sanguine temperament firmly believed that it was just about to reach the boiling point we finished the process with a little of our remaining stock of alcohol and enjoyed an excellent though rather scanty supper matheson was one of the best men i ever had under my command always ready willing and obedient he did his duty in every respect and whilst he possessed spirit enough for anything he had a stock of good humour which never failed him in any situation however difficult and trying were the walking difficult or easy the loads heavy or light provisions abundant or reduced to less than half allowance it was all one to peter matheson he had a joke ready for every occasion a few minutes after ten p m on the twenty eighth we were on the march homeward the night was very disagreeable there being a strong breeze of head-wind with heavy snow and a temperature much too mild only eight degrees below the freezing point for walking comfortably the snow was also very soft so that had it not been for the bad state of our victualling department we would have remained snug in our quarters but needs must when hunger drives so we trudged on stoutly crossing over the land for the purpose of shortening our distance after a tough walk during which we met with some tracks of bears that had passed only about an hour before we encamped on a small island close to cape arrowsmith and nearly three miles to the northward of our snow hut of the twenty sixth the weather during the day became fine so fine indeed that our house not being built of good material tumbled down about our ears just before we were leaving it Twenty-ninth, When we started at half-past nine p.m., the night was fine, but in half an hour it began to snow so thick that we could not keep our course in crossing Gary Bay, where the walking was much worse than when we formerly passed. In three hours the weather again cleared up, and I found that we had not deviated much from the right road. At seven a.m. we joined Folster and Minot, whom we found quite well, but like ourselves, very thin. The only animals they had killed were two marmots, and no fish had been caught. If we had been twelve hours longer absent, they intended to have boiled a piece of parchment skin for supper, and to have kept the small remaining piece of pemmican for travelling provisions. I have had considerable practice in walking, and have often accomplished between forty and fifty, and on one occasion sixty-five miles in a day on snowshoes, with a day's provisions, blankets, axe, etc. on my back but our journey hitherto had been the most fatiguing I had ever experienced. The severe exercise, with a limited allowance of food, had much reduced the whole party, yet we were all in excellent health, and although we lost flesh, we kept up our spirits and marched merrily on, tightening our belts, mine came in six inches, and feasting our imaginations on full allowance when we arrived at Fort Hope. On the 30th we continued our course homewards, crossing over the several points that we had formerly coasted. It snowed heavily all night, 
and the temperature was only two degrees below the freezing point. Eight cranes winged their circling flight northward, and half a dozen sandpipers were seen. It was near 4 a.m. on the 31st when we arrived at our snow house of the 23rd, which we found quite as good as when we left it, and our cache of venison all safe. Three partridges were shot, which somewhat aided our short commons. On the following night, after an ineffectual attempt to get to seaward of the rough ice, in which we lost a considerable portion of the skin off our shins, we travelled on the land, making short cuts whenever practicable. On arriving opposite to Glen Island, we found that it was divided from the shore by a channel not much more than a quarter of a mile wide. There was an inlet a few miles in length to the eastward of it, which was named after the Reverend Mr. McCarr of Kingston, Canada West. This night was the finest we had experienced throughout the journey. A specimen of trap rock was obtained from some rising grounds a mile and a half distant from the north shore of Smith's Bay, near the head of which we now for the first time observed a lake of a couple miles in extent. When half a league from Cape Sibold, we encamped under the shelter of some precipitous trap cliffs near a hundred feet high. Some more cranes were seen, and numerous traces of deer and partridges. We here procured some fuel, there being patches of ground bare of snow. Our latitude by observation was 68 degrees, 19 minutes, 50 seconds north. Variation of the compass, 80 degrees, 55 minutes west. Two of the men were affected with snow blindness one of them severely. 1st June. It blew a gale of wind from southeast, with thick snowdrift at 8 hours 30 minutes p.m., when we resumed our journey. At half-past ten, we crossed the largest stream that we had yet met with on Melville Peninsula. It was already partially open, owing to numerous springs, which had formed many small mounds of ice from 10 to 12 feet high, after taking a copious draft from the limpid stream, we continued our journey across Point Barnston and Cape Finlayson until we arrived at Selkirk Bay, when, the weather having become much worse, we stopped at one hour thirty minutes a.m. to build our snow hut at a place where there was such an abundant supply of heather that we had enough to cover our snow bed with. Two deer were seen, and Corrigal made an ineffectual attempt to get a shot at them, I shot five ptarmigan, and four sandpipers were observed. During the next night's journey, the weather was very snowy, but the wind being more moderate, we got on faster. After coasting Selkirk Bay, we cut across Cape Lady Simpson, and at half-past six a.m. on the 3rd of June, we reached our encampment of the 19th Ultimo in Erlinson Bay, where we found our small cache of provisions quite safe. Five more partridges were shot, and some deer seen, the snow being very soft, we remained here all day, and at noon obtained the latitude 67 degrees 59 minutes north, and variation 75 degrees 9 minutes west. The thermometer in the shade rose as high as plus 54 degrees, and our old snow house tumbled down about our ears in the evening, just as we were going to take our supper. Perhaps breakfast would be the more appropriate term, as we had turned day into night. We started at 8 hours, 30 minutes p.m., and notwithstanding the great power of the sun, so much snow had fallen lately that it lay far deeper on the ground than when we had previously passed this way. The walking also was so much more fatiguing that we were not able to reach our snow house of the 18th of May. 
and were in consequence under the necessity of building new lodgings. The night was mild and nearly calm. Two phalaropes, P. fulicarius, were seen, and a couple of ptarmigan shot. There was no fuel to be found here, but having picked up a little as we came along, we did not feel the want of it much. The fourth was a fine night, with the thermometer at plus 23 degrees, when, at seven hours, forty minutes, we resumed our march. Whilst rounding Cape McTavish, we fell in with nine partridges, seven of which were shot, and I endeavored to get within range of a couple of swans, the first we had seen, but they were too shy. We now crossed Lafroy Bay, the snow on which was very soft, and built our snow house on the ice at seven hours a.m., about four miles from its south shore. The work during this journey had been so much more severe than was expected, and the men had in consequence used so much more tobacco than they had anticipated, that their stock was now quite exhausted, and they appeared to feel the want as much as if they had been deprived of half their allowance of food, perhaps more. It was really amusing to see how very particular they were in dividing the small remaining bits which they rummaged from the dust and rubbish in their pockets, and which at any other time they would have thrown away. I happened to have a little snuff with me, a pinch of which, in their necessity, they relished much. We were on foot again at twenty minutes after eight on the fifth. The weather had been stormy all day, but became fine an hour after we started. We kept well out from land expecting to find the ice smoother, and this was the case as far as Point Cowie, but beyond that the rough ice extended quite across the bay. We therefore struck in for the shore, which after two hours scrambling we reached, and directed our course over the rocks, from which the snow had now, in many places, entirely disappeared. Towards Cape T. Simpson, where we arrived at five hours a.m. on the 6th, and found our cache of provisions, etc., as we had left it, no time was lost in getting the stones cleared away from it, not so much for the purpose of having something to eat as to find some tobacco that had been left here among other things. A fine hare had been shot, and as soon as three of the party who had stopped behind to gather fuel came up, we had a much more abundant and palatable meal than we had enjoyed for many days before. To the large bay, the survey of which we had now completed, the name of Committee Bay was given, in honor of the Committee of the Hudson's Bay Company. This was the finest day we had experienced during this journey, the power of the sun being so great as to raise the thermometer to plus 82 degrees. By an excellent meridian observation in Quicksilver, our latitude was 67 degrees 19 minutes 14 seconds north, variation of the compass 64 degrees 27 minutes west. Wishing to take a straighter and consequently shorter route to Repulse Bay than that by which we had gone, we started at 9 p.m. on the 6th, and after a walk of three hours, came to the head of a narrow inlet with high rocky shores, and about seven miles long, to which I gave the name of Monroe. Our course overland was nearly due south, and we passed over a number of small lakes, from which the snow had been partially removed by the joint action of the sun's rays and the wind. On the following night, our course continued the same, with a slight inclination to the westward. We had a strong gale of fair wind, which helped us along amazingly. But as we could easily reach Fort Hope in another night, and as we had an abundance of food, we encamped at three hours thirty minutes a.m. on the 8th. 
during the whole of which day until late in the evening it blew hard with drifting snow so that no observations could be made being anxious to arrive at winter quarters early on the following day we were again on the march at half past seven p m and the evening having now become fine we kept up a smart pace for a few hours until we arrived at christie lake where finding some very fine heather quite dry and free from snow it was impossible to resist the temptation of having something to eat and drink having taken up our quarters in an old snow hut the chocolate and pemmican kettles were soon on the fire and we heartily enjoyed our rather unusual meal following the lake and the north pole river we came to fort hope at eight hours twenty minutes a m on the ninth all in good health and spirits but very much reduced in flesh although not quite so black as when we returned from the previous journey End of chapter 7